Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to a special edition of The Neutral Corner. I am Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. When Canelo Alvarez popped twice for Clembuterol, February 17th and February 20th, it was a monumental occasion in boxing because he is the biggest star in boxing in the modern era to test positive for a prohibited substance, and that ended up stalling uh, well, canceling a fight, I still think the rematch with Golovkin will happen, but it's stalled for now. It's a big, big deal. And I've spent a lot of time, you know, talking about it, uh, doing rant videos and such off the cuff. And I've taken some heat for some of the things I've said. I uh, probably could have stated some things uh, in a more clear, concise fashion. Probably could have given uh, more information as I went along. But anyway, I've spent... The last few weeks talking to experts in the anti-doping field, people who worked at labs, people who worked in anti-doping groups, people on the dirty and the clean side, just to get more insight into this whole Canelo Alvarez situation, the anti-doping world in general, and specifically hair testing, because that's become the hot topic. Most of it has been off the record. The only one name that I can mention publicly is Victor Conti. Most of our discussion, though, and we talked for well over an hour, had a great discussion. Uh, most of that discussion, I got to keep off the record, but there are a few things that I could talk about um, that me and him discussed. Victor's been in the business for over 30 years, right? In the anti-doping world, well, in, in doping, period, on both sides of the fence, but more recently with anti-doping. And he's been one of the, the guys who has helped get anti-doping and boxing to where it is now. Uh, we still got a long way to go, but it's way, way better now than it has been ever. So he's one of the guys that's been a big part of that. I want to say, guys, I am not an expert in this field. There are some things I do consider myself an expert on. You ask me how to break down a fight or do a prediction or something for a fight, for boxing. Yeah, I'll call myself an analyst, an expert, whatever you want to say. In the anti-doping world, I am not an expert. And those of you who follow me, um, follow my work consistently, you know that I've never claimed to be. I like to present information and I like to engage in conversations to drive change in a sport I love, positive change. Sometimes that means I'm going to step in it. I'm going to step in dog shit. I'm going to step over the line. I'm going to misspeak. I'm going to get something wrong, whatever. As long as the conversation is going and that's leading to a positive place at the end, it's worth it. So as I'm presented with new information and points of view, I present them. But do these points of view necessarily reflect my personal points of view? No. And too often people mistake my rant videos as these detailed arguments for me taking a, a solid position one way or the other on a particular subject. Too many people focus on one segment or even one sentence of some of my rant videos and, and run with that as my stance, my firm stance on the subject. Very few listen to the totality of the information, the, the entire point of view I provide, which oftentimes my point of view is shaped and formed and molded throughout multiple videos, tweets, podcasts, uh, articles, as I talk to more people and get more information. And again, those of you who actually follow me, uh, you know this about me, but a lot of you just kind of come to my work here and there every now and then, you might not know that about me as much. But some of these guys that are out there uh, criticizing me unfairly, I feel, they come in with preconceived notions or biases. 
and simply apply that to what I'm saying without ever really listening with an open mind. They take one little segment that they want to run with and twist, and that's it. My rant videos are off the cuff. They're without notes. They're just me speaking my mind at a time, uh, at that time with my subscribers. And my opinions often develop and change as I learn more. The neutral corner, this format, this is me presenting information with notes uh, in detail. And it's a different thing. That's why it's in a podcast type format, right? So here we go. I wanted to talk about hair testing. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about a few different things. I wanna talk about the Canelo Alvarez situation, obviously. I wanna talk about the press conference they had last Tuesday and my issues with it. How I think this whole situation will play out over time. And how do we fix the problems that still exist in anti-doping in boxing? But first, with hair testing, I recently posted a rant video where I talked about an article that was posted on bloodyelbow.com where they cited two studies referring to variances in the results of hair testing specific to clenbuterol. At no point in the video did I say I was against hair testing, nor did I say I didn't want Canelo to do hair testing. And for people to twist my words and run with it, even use uh, that as like the title of their videos, to do it in that way, accusing me of lying or assaulting my character is just disingenuous and, and pathetic, honestly. But some people always try to find an angle to bash you in attempts to build themselves up off your name. That is what it is. But I was merely presenting information that was factual. There are variances in hair testing among people with different hair colors and textures, which does cause some debate and agreement in the scientific community about the reliability of hair testing. However, having done further research and speaking with multiple experts in the field, including Victor Conti, who played a major role in getting anti-doping and boxing to where it is today, as I've said before, it is my firm position, and this is my firm position, that hair testing is not only reliable, it is necessary in boxing, and not just as a confirmatory test, but as a screen test. And I'll talk about the difference with that later on. Variances. They occur in all forms of human beings, and that includes anti-doping, obviously. Let's step back from clenbuterol for a second, and let's just look at TE ratio without getting into all the, the, you know, the minutia of TE ratio and what it is. It's testosterone, okay? And for whatever reason, Asians have a lower rate. It's 0.7, and Caucasians and blacks have a higher rate. It's 1.2, 1.3. So the mid-range for the average healthy adult male is 1 to 1. TE, testosterone, epitestosterone. Scientific committees, when they are uh, doing their research and doing different studies, they take those variances into consideration when arbitrarily determining threshold levels in the anti-doping world. The commissions, the sanctioning organizations, the anti-doping groups, they follow that protocol when they set up their testing programs, their rules, their regulations. So for instance, back to this TE ratio, the Nevada State Athletic Commission allows six to one. California allows four to one, 3% for carbon isotope ratio testing. So these are all uh, ranges and thresholds that have arbitrarily been determined through the scientific process. Is there complete 100% agreement? No, but it's, it's a consensus. It's very, very close to 100%. That process is playing out right now when it comes to clenbuterol, which is currently a qualitative test, meaning if you test positive for anything more than zero, 
boom, it's it's an anti-doping violation. They're trying to make it a quantitative test. And they're talking about finding uh, the right threshold levels. So they're determining that right now through the scientific process, through studies. I've looked at some of those studies that have been forwarded to me. I will post links to them. And this includes hair sample testing. It's not just urine and blood testing, but also hair sample testing. Although there are variances in hair testing among uh, different populations of people, the variables and thresholds are currently being worked out by the scientific community. They do hair testing in horse racing, for example. And I get it, horses are not human beings, but horses have different colors, different color hair as well, right? And there are different breeds of horses. So there are variances in those tests, but they're still using that to help determine thresholds. Right now, a hair sample test will indicate how long a drug like clenbuterol was in an athlete's system. And it's actually much, much better at doing that than a urine or blood test. However, it does not distinguish if the drug was present due to contamination or purposely ingesting it. Here's the thing, though, that science is being worked out. They are doing studies right now to determine this. And it, the, the, the testing will get to a point where it will determine, they will be able to see, did the clenbuterol in this athlete's system break down through an animal first before it got to his system, or did they ingest it straight up you know, through a pill? They will be able to determine that by the way that it excretes from the athlete's system. But as it is right now, it does not determine that, and that provides a reasonable doubt in the Canelo situation, they could provide a hair sample and it could show that clenbuterol was in his system going back for two months or something like that. But they could just as easily go with the contaminated meat excuse. However, it is important to note that if other drugs were present in Canelo's system on top of the clenbuterol, a hair sample test would also show that. So this is the reason that many people are suspicious of Canelo for not volunteering to offer a hair sample, and I don't blame them. It absolutely does look suspicious. Your team Canelo, you've already gone with the, the meat excuse. It's already in play. So if clenbuterol was the only drug in your system, and you really did get it just from contamination, why not provide the hair sample as a token of good faith? The threshold levels would be in the right place. There'd be no other drugs present in your system. Because clenbuterol can be used during a, a, a cycle as the, the end part of a cycle. And, uh, you know, if that's all that showed up in, in your system through the hair test, well, that would pretty much not prove your innocence, but it would be an indicator that your contaminated meat excuse does have some validity. Luis Ortiz is a recent example where he tested uh, positive for two banned substances claimed it was due to blood pressure medication, which him and his team provided medical forms for. And they volunteered to give a hair sample proving their case. They were willing to pay for this sample. It would have cost about $3,500. It was the people in control of the testing at that time who declined to do the hair sample test because they were not set up for it. Ultimately, this is why Ortiz was cleared to eventually fight Deontay Wilder because his team didn't only submit to further testing, which for the record, Canelo Alvarez is doing right now, but they also provided actual documentation that gave a detailed medical history of Luis Ortiz's problems with blood pressure, the, the drugs that he was prescribed to taking, and as I mentioned before, they're willing to take the hair sample test to prove their innocence and pay for it. So anyway, 
It's only a matter of time, likely within a year, but it could be as much as two years, that a committee of scientists arbitrarily establishes threshold levels for clenbuterol, and WADA sets a protocol for hair sample testing in sports. A recent study by WADA, which I will post a link for, determined that a reasonable threshold via hair testing for clenbuterol should be one to five picograms per milligram. So the range will be somewhere in there. And it really depends on how uh, WADA and the testing authorities want to go. Do they want to be really, really strict with the threshold or do they want to be more lenient with the threshold? But it will probably be somewhere between one to five picograms per milligram. Once the science is worked out, and WADA mandates hair testing. Anti-doping groups like VADA will incorporate it into their programs. Thus, the WBC's clean boxing program will incorporate it into their program as well. But until that time, it's not gonna happen. We're not gonna see it as part of drug testing programs in boxing. It is at that point that fighters who test positive for a prohibited substance like Canelo Alvarez just did with clenbuterol may be forced to provide a hair sample test as part of an investigation. And you could force it at that point. Or further, a hair sample will be taken with every urine or blood test as part of a testing program. And that was, that's what I meant by screen test earlier. Instead of doing it as a confirmatory test, you do it as a screen test. You do it every single time you take a sample. However, it is important to note that at the present time, nobody can force or mandate Canelo Alvarez to provide a hair sample because it is not part of a program. The testing program that Canelo and Golovkin signed up for with VADA does not include hair testing. The WBC clean boxing program does not include hair testing. So when I've talked about it in other videos and why I titled another, another video I did, why hair testing is not done in boxing, this is all part of the reasons. Now, could I have done a better job stating this? Could I have given more information, more detailed information? Yes. It was a rant video. I was trying to make the point that guys, we're not going to see Canelo Alvarez do a hair sample test. Not happening. Now, let's get to the press conference last Tuesday where Golden Boy Promotions and Canelo Alvarez had a presser to announce that they, they were going to withdraw from the rematch with Gennady Golovkin May 5th. So Golden Boy Promotions sent out an email last Monday inviting hand-picked media members of all levels, low-level, mid-level, high-level, you know, the A-lister level, and platforms, print, network, internet, and YouTube, to this press conference. Guess who wasn't invited? Now, what kind of intention does that show to not invite a guy that has spent the last few years covering multiple Golden Boy Promotions events and numerous Canelo fights. I work with Golden Boy Promotions occasionally, but I'm not exclusive to any one publication, but I've done a lot of work with Golden Boy from their club level fights to LA uh, Fight Club series. As I mentioned before, Canelo fights. I went to Vegas and covered Canelo Lara when they couldn't even sell out that venue. I covered Canelo Khan, Canelo Chavez, before I even got to the Canelo Triple G fight, where I did a preview piece in Boxing Monthly Magazine last September. I did several previews on podcasts uh, in, in multiple countries. I did reviews on NBC Sports Radio, coast to coast. To not invite a guy like me, that shows intent that you're just wanting to basically have a press release. You want media members there that are uh, going to play the role 
And they're going to take what you're saying and they're going to film it and post it on their YouTube channel or they're going to record what you're saying and write it up in an article and post it on whatever boxing site or blog that they have. Guys, remember, I was present for the red carpet media events promoting the first bout last year and for the ones promoting the rematch this year. Last year they were in Hollywood. This year they're in downtown L.A. I've done work with Ring TV as recently as two weeks ago where I covered for Doug Fisher's mailbag. And that they're owned by Golden Boy Promotions, of course. So for me to not be invited shows blatant spin and damage control by Golden Boy Promotions and Team Canelo. It also kills the entire Montero is a Golden Boy promotion slash Canelo shill arguments that have been going around for a month or so now on some YouTube channels. You want to know who the real shill here is for Team Canelo? It's Mauricio Suleiman in the WBC. Now, I had a back and forth with Suleiman on Twitter on March 31st through April 1st. It was April Fool's Day weekend. And it was regarding the fact that Canelo, although he has been scheduled to fight for the WBC middleweight title now for several weeks, or actually months, but this is before he uh, withdrew from the fight, that he was not enrolled in the WBC's clean boxing program. And per the bylaws of the clean boxing program, right on page one, Canelo Alvarez meets not one, but several requirements for entry into the program. I'll post links to all this stuff uh, in the video description, guys. Or I'll probably just do it in a pinned comment on the video. Suleiman spun. He ignored my questions. And he put out a press release a couple days saying that Canelo is, and I'm quoting here, cannot be found guilty of doping. I'll post a link to this as well. Before an investigation even began, Suleiman was not only defending Canelo, he was saying he was innocent, going on the record saying Canelo is innocent, he's a clean fighter, which is beyond the highest heights of unprofessionalism, favoritism, and shilling. So those of you out there who want to call guys like me and others in the business shills because we've been objective on this and have been reporting information as it came out, your shill is Mauricio Suleiman, the WBC. And by the way, I've been blacklisted from attending any WBC events now for like the past year because I've ripped them hard when they deserved it. I know several people who work at the WBC, work with them regularly as part of the organization. I used to get invited to all their press functions here in the, the greater Los Angeles area. I got blacklisted. And I've been told that off the record by more than one person because I've been one of the very few people in media that challenges them on their bullshit. And that includes people that are A-listers in the business who won't say a bad word about the BC. They'll criticize them, but they won't go too far. And that includes people that I love and respect in this business who are afraid to go head-to-head -head with Mauricio Suleiman. Further, Watch the press conference last Tuesday and pay attention to the questions not asked. Again, I'll post a link. Nobody asked about what I call Donaire-style testing. So to back up here to the origins of VADA, Nonito Donaire, and this is going back six, seven years, I think. He was the first fighter in boxing history, really in fight sports history to say, I volunteer for 24-7, 365 drug testing at my expense. He put up about $20,000 a year, which is what it costs to do true VADA testing all year round, and said, come test me anytime. Urine, blood, whenever. Show up at my door, whenever. 
He was the first. Edward Rodriguez followed suit later on. But those are the only two fighters who have done that. And a lot of people mistake the clean boxing program for what I call Donaire-style testing. Donaire-style testing is true 24-7, 365 testing. Basically, take what Canelo and Golovkin are doing now for their scheduled fight, which started in mid-May. It would go up through, if the fight were still going through, May 5th, maybe even May 6th. That's just the little window of testing where they are tested multiple times, blood and urine test. Imagine that year round. That's what Nonito Donaire and Edward Rodriguez signed up for. So nobody at this press conference last week asked Canelo Alvarez and his team about Donaire style testing. He's the highest paid athlete in the sport currently uh, fighting. And he can afford that. He can afford $20,000 a year. He's pretty much either in the United States in San Diego or down in Mexico where he's from. Sometimes he vacations in other parts of the world, but that's primarily, those are the two places you find him. It's not hard for VADA people to find him, for the people that collect the test samples for VADA, I should say. Nobody at the presser pressed about hair testing when the lawyer gave his spin about that. Some people asked about it, but they just accepted the lawyered up response and nobody pressed him. Remember last year after the first fight, Adelaide Bird's horrible scorecard? I asked Bob Bennett about it. He tried to give me the spin. What did I do? Did I accept it and give him his press release and just print what he said? No. I pressed him. I pressed him from a, for a good five to ten minutes. Nobody did that last Tuesday, including the reporters you guys love. None of them did it. Where are all the YouTube channels challenging their favorite reporters who wouldn't ask the tough questions because future employment opportunities with Golden Boy Promotions slash Ring TV were on the line? Where are those critic videos? They don't exist. Why? Now, this will all play out over time. After Canelo serves his suspension, and we'll find out April 18th at the Nevada Commission hearing how long the suspension will be. My prediction is six months, but we'll see. After he serves his suspension, if he returns for the Triple G rematch, whether it's later this year or early next year, and looks smaller, has trouble making weight, performs noticeably worse, it'll all be a dead giveaway that something was indeed going on in Mexico. And maybe not just one time, but maybe it's been a, an institutional thing that's been going on for a while. See other recent cases like Lewis Neri, who tested positive started doing advanced drug testing, missed weight in his very next fight. Look at Alexander Povetkin, who suddenly lost power. He went to distance twice after five straight knockout wins, looked visibly softer in his recent fight with David Price. There's dead giveaways as these things play out over months and years. At the same time, if Canelo Alvarez volunteers for Donaire-style testing from here on out, never test positive again, shows up for the Triple G rematch looking just as ripped as ever, makes weight without an issue, performs at the same level or even better. He can at least somewhat redeem himself. Look at how Luis Ortiz performed against Deontay Wilder. He looked like a natural fighter. His age should look. He performed very well in that fight, but what happened? He faded late in the fight. That's what happens. The younger fighter had his way. That's how it's supposed to happen when fighters are clean. That's the natural order of things. Of course, there are exceptions, but that is the rule. Luis Ortiz looked like 
a natural fighter in that fight, and he performed like one, especially if you look at the way he faded late. This Canelo situation, let me remind you guys, this Canelo Alvarez situation with the clombuterol, it's not even two months old. The hot tests were from February 17th and 20th and not announced until weeks after. It's not even two months old, guys. It's, it's like a newborn baby as far as its growth and what it's going to uh, become over the next months and years to come. Some of you need to calm down and let this process play out. The Vasta Athletic Commission will absolutely suspend Canelo on eight, April 18th, and his team knows that. And that's why they withdrew from the Triple G rematch on May 5th. Part of it was uh, a, a professional courtesy to Tom Loeffler so he could promote his May 5th fight with Triple G. Part of it was spin control so they could control the narrative, get ahead of the hearing. And they again, they had that very, very organized, sterile press conference where they had a few hand-selected people they could trust that weren't going to come in there and ruffle any feathers so that they could get their narrative out first before the April 18th hearing and Bob Bennett, they could, you know, give their side of it. As I mentioned before, clenbuterol is qualitative, meaning there is no threshold. Anything more than zero is quote unquote guilty. Nevada State Athletic Commission has what they call strict liability. So right then and there, Canelo is going to get suspended. His team knows that. That's why I tried to get ahead of this thing. It withdrew from the fight. It will eventually be quantitative, maybe within a year. And at that point, these cases might look a little bit different. Okay, enough with Canelo. How do we fix the problems that exist of anti-doping in boxing? Because we've seen plenty of these recent cases where people test positive for something, and not every case is treated uh, the same. Now, not every case exactly is the same. There, there, is, there are differences. As I have said in other videos, and now some of my haters love to quote me, there is nuance. Every case is different. But at the same time, there are similar cases where the results have been adjudicated differently. There are, uh, there, there are holes in the process right now. I've talked about the WBC's clean boxing program. It's a great idea. But to budget it correctly, you need over $5 million a year, and they're not even putting up a million. So there are a bunch of fighters enrolled in the clean boxing program that are not even tested every year. And the people who are tested, it's once or twice a year. So you could still get around things, even being in that program. Even the growth hormone test is weak. It only detects for about 36 hours after use. IGF-1 long R3 is a drug that's sold over the counter in Mexico. There is absolutely no test for it. It is out of your system very, very fast. And as I said, you can just go get it at a pharmacy. The EPO test is relatively weak. It's easy to circumvent. But here's the thing. All the tests that we have, right now we just do urine and blood, they give you different types of information. And this is why I say we need hair testing because it's a third type of test. It's a different type of test that gets you different type of information. It's not about which test is better or more reliable. It's about each one bringing you a different piece of the picture, a different piece of the puzzle. This is why we need hair testing and boxing. That is my firm opinion. It provides additional information on top of the urine and blood test. In the Alexander Povetkin case, it is possible that he could have been that he could have stopped taking meldonium at the end of 2015 and four months later in april of 2016 
when he had three negative tests early that month in April, and then one positive test at the very end of April, it is possible that that was due to uh, molecules getting wedged in Apidose fat tissues. But a hair test could have cleared him if he were innocent. Why didn't he submit a hair sample? It's very, very likely that Alexander Povetkin, given all the information we have, could have been using meldonium with intent to cheat. And he simply timed and calculated the excretion time incorrectly. It's very, very possible that's the situation with Canelo Alvarez in Clembuterol this February. Urine tests can be flawed due to the concentration of the sample, what's called spe uh, specific gravity. Collecting the first urine sample of the day from an athlete who's just waking up is going to be super concentrated urine. It's going to have very high levels of metabolites of these substances versus a guy who just finished working out and drank gallons of water for the past two hours. That's going to dilute the concentration, obviously. So testing is only as, is, is only as good as the history of the samples you're collecting, the consistency or lack thereof. A fighter might test positive via blood or urine. A hair test would confirm it. So we need more stars in boxing to volunteer for Donaire-style testing. Let's get that hashtag going, guys. Hashtag Donaire-style testing. Let's challenge Team Canelo, Team Golden Boy, to get on board with Donaire-style testing. And while we're at it, let's challenge Gennady Golovkin, Terrence Crawford, Vasil Lomachenko, the Charlo brothers, Keith Thurman, Errol Spence. Let's challenge all these guys to give up 20 grand a year and volunteer for Dornier style testing. Let's get that going. The ABC, the Association of Boxing Commissions, needs to adopt the WBC's 30 and 7 day pre-fight weigh-in procedures and the IBF 10 pound rehydration rule across the board. All sanctioning organizations should follow those rules because if you had to uh, be a certain weight before the fight and after the fight, that limits some of the things you could do to cheat the system. It doesn't eliminate them, but it limits them. So I think that would go a long way. Other sanctioning bodies need to adopt programs like the WBC clean boxing program, and the budget should be well into the seven figures for all of them. If we had the WBC, WBA, WBO, and IBF all putting up at least a million dollars a year for random drug testing for at least, at least all of their champions in each division, it would go a very, very long way into cleaning up the sport. If that were mandated through the Association of Boxing Commissions, it would be big time. We need to push for this. The CIR test should be a screen test. That's something that VADA already does. The issue is that USADA and the other organizations don't do it as a screen test. They do it as a confirmatory test. I also think the hair sampling testing should be a screen test. That means every single time you take a fighter's urine or blood, you cut off some of their hair and you test, you do the CIR test every single time. These should be screen test, not confirmatory testing. USADA needs to get on board with as much as they're charging, they need to get on board with this. VADA's doing it right, but they don't do hair testing yet. A study in 2013 done, uh, they took a, WADA did a, WADA accredited labs. Every test that they do for anti-doping, 
They took all of them and they studied them in 2013. And they found that about 1% of them come back with a positive rate. One out of every hundred of every single type of test that they do comes back with a positive rate of 1%. The CIR test returns an over 5% positive rate. So the CIR test is five times better than every single other test that all WADA accredited labs perform. This is as of 2013, guys. It's five times better, but only VADA does it as a screen test. Why? Why don't the people at USADA and the other anti-doping groups demand that it be a screen test? And why were there some fighters, the biggest star in the sport before he recently retired, demanding USADA testing and refusing to do VADA testing? Why was Floyd Mayweather so adamant about doing USADA testing when Manny Pacquiao had been doing full VADA testing and his team wanted it. Floyd Mayweather said literally, no fight Pacquiao unless we roll with my boys at USADA. Think about that for a second. Now here are some red flags you guys can look out for. Anytime a fighter delays the announcement of their fight, especially if it's a big fight, but even regular fights, until the last minute, where a fighter basically has three to four months, a green light to use whatever drugs they want and calculate the phasing tapering correctly, that's a red flag. I go back to Floyd Mayweather. Very, very often, his fights were announced two months out. The, these drug testing programs, whether it's VADA, USADA, whoever it is, it doesn't start until the fight's officially announced. So think about that. Compare that to a guy like Gennady Golovkin. Many of his fights have been announced six months out. You look back to Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko, how they announced their fight, and they did full VADA testing for that fight. They announced that six months or so out. It's not just to properly promote the fight. Those drug testing programs, they don't always start exactly when the fight's officially announced. It depends on the deal. But it's a major red flag if a fighter is consistently delaying the announcement of their fights. So that's something to look forward to. As I mentioned before, another huge red flag, a fighter refusing VADA testing or demanding USADA or some other testing agency. A fighter refusing to provide a hair sample test after testing hot for any prohibited substance. If a fighter tests positive for anything, I don't care what it is. If they do not volunteer to provide a hair sample, that's a red flag. It looks suspicious. Guess what? They only got another year or two where they can refuse to do that. It will be mandated soon enough. A fighter testing positive for a trace amount of any prohibited substance not found naturally in the body. Now, obviously that sounds like a no-brainer, but hear me out. Oftentimes, when a fighter tests positive for a very, very, very minute, I'm talking traces of traces, amounts of a prohibited substance that it's not natural to the human body, it indicates low levels of cross-contamination in another drug they were taking. These fighters, these athletes, they buy these synthetic drugs that are made in these underground labs. And the beakers, the flasks, the glassware that they're made in are not often cleaned the right way. There's these very, very expensive acids that clean the, that bleach the glassware, that clean it properly, that are very expensive. And these underground labs simply don't want to use that. They don't want to pay the money for these really expensive acids. So they don't clean the beakers and flasks uh, correctly. 
So traces of other substances remain. So in a, for example, an athlete could order a batch of testosterone from an underground lab somewhere. And traces of osterine could be present in the containers it was processed and or packaged in. Does that make sense? So you might have a guy pop for a really, really, really minute level of osterine, and he wasn't even using osterine to cheat. He was using testosterone. But this is very often the case as it happens because, again, these synthetic drugs are made in a black market in these underground labs. Another red flag, anybody working with Memo Heredia, I'm just going to go ahead and say that on record. I don't care what kind of shit I get for it. If you're working with Memo Heredia, that's a massive red flag in my book. Any fighter refusing to do 24-7, 365 testing or what I call donair testing, red flag. Guys, that's the only way a fighter can truly prove with the best, latest, latest, the greatest scientific ability that we have that they're clean. And any fighter or his team shutting out media members who ask tough questions, that's a red flag. Who do you think I'm talking about there? Hint, he's a redhead. All right, guys, that's it. Let me know what you think. Comment below, like, share, subscribe. Get the word out about the podcast. Drop us a rating and a review on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher and SoundCloud. I'm Michael Montero. I'll see you at the fights.